بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم نحمده و نسلی علی رسوله الكریم اما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam alright we have now finished uh, Al-Fatiha and we are getting into Ali Imran and first I should give you all a simple structure of the surah itself although we won't be completing the entire surah not even close uh, but to give you an overview of how the surah operates will be of, of use, inshallah. So, and let me know you can see the whiteboard. Good, very good. Okay. So when we speak of Ali Imran, <laughs> first is the simple question of the name of the surah. And those of you who've taken classes with me before know that the naming of the surah, the primary function of the names is always identification. So if I say, uh, Al-Baqarah, you know which surah I'm referring to. If I say surah Al-Waqi'ah, you know what surah I'm referring to. The name may or may not tell us something about the content or summary of the surah. So Al-Fatiha, that works really easily, where Al-Fatiha is also the Fatiha of the Qur'an. It is the opening, the opener of the Qur'an. It is the lens through which we look at the entire Qur'an. That's why we began with Al-Fatiha. Whereas Al-Baqarah, that naming is referring to one specific story of about four ayahs, five ayahs that's found in the first third of the surah. In the case of Ali Imran, uh, it's, it applies a little bit more in the sense that some argue that Al-Baqarah is a call at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, of the Jew, called of the, to the Jews to Islam. And Ali Imran is a call to the Christians to Islam. And Imran is the family of Mary. Peace be upon her. Okay. And so Ali Imran is the family of Imran, thus the family of Mary, and then by extension, the family of Jesus. Uh, that is essentially the name. Where do we get the names from? Most cases, we get them from the Prophet, peace be upon him. But if you were to open up the oldest copies of the Quran, you're not going to see the names listed in there. Uh, more often than not, the Sahaba would not identify the names of the surahs by the names as much as they'd identify them by the first few ayahs. In the same way that a kid may not know al-Iqlas uh, uh, by name, but will know Part of the reason is because the surahs were forming throughout, the, throughout those 23 years, right? In only some cases did we receive, boom, a whole surah. And then we could say, this is the name of the surah. More often than not, we received a chunk of a surah, a chunk of a surah, a chunk of a surah, and the prophet, peace be upon him, is assembling them at the time. And so this is likewise a Madani surah. And, and so you all know, a Madani Makki surah refers to before or after hijrah, not so much where the prophet physically was. And, and so Ali Imran is a Madani Surah. Madani Surahs in general tend to talk more about rules and less about faith, although this Surah speaks very, very much about faith. 
And as I mentioned way in the first day of the class, this surah pairs up with Al-Baqarah sort of as a foundation of the whole Quran, that if you were to imagine Al-Fatiha to be the roots, and then Al-Baqarah and Ali Imran to be the, the, the trunk of the tree, and then the rest of the Quran to be the leaves uh, at the top. That would be how to one way to imagine or a common way to imagine the structure of the surah and how Ali Imran fits. And so then having said that, Al-Baqarah, you could pretty much organize Al-Baqarah into units that are about 40 ayahs or so long, give or take. So Al-Baqarah is 286 ayahs. If we split that into 40-ish uh, uh, ayah long groups, we're saying about seven sections. Uh, professor, are you writing on the whiteboard? No, I haven't started yet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, except for just the title. Um, and so, so Al-Baqarah is groups more or less about 40 ayahs at a time. And then Ali Imran is groups of about 30 ayahs at a time, totaling 200 ayahs. And even then, those of you who, uh, who have taken the Al-Baqarah class or are taking it in the next hour, uh, even then we take the seven groups and, and shrink it down to, down to uh, four. And so Al-Imran, we have essentially uh, section one, which is the introduction. Hey, late, I'm writing now. I don't know if you can, you can see that, yeah. And this goes from Ayah one to about Ayah 32. One, two. I don't know. I felt like writing those zero zeros, but yeah. And that is the introduction. And those of you who are already familiar with the with the content of of Al Fat of Al Baqarah, you're going to find a lot of similarities there. Because we're going to speak about Allah. We're going to speak about different types of believers and rejectors of faith and such but with very different nuance. And then after that, we have uh, the people of the book. Which is Ayah 33 to about Ayah 99. Within that, we have a section on Jesus, peace be upon him, which is I, uh, you know what, I can stop at this zero, zero, zero business. I have 33 to I have 59. And then within that, we have engagement with the people of the book. P-O-D, people of the book, which is basically Aya 60 through Aya 99. 
There are also uh, other subsections in there. And then we have believers engaging with each other, with people of the book, with coffers. So believers engaging with different groups. And by believers here, I'm speaking of followers of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And this goes from 100 to 129. And then all on the believers. So this goes from 130 to 199. And within that, it is do not give up. To 130 to 158. And then speaking about the prophet, peace be upon him. One fifty nine to one seventy seven. And then speaking about the world and the nature of the world, although we'll have some of this at the beginning, is one seventy eight to one ninety nine. And then Number five, conclusion. This is the last ayah. So we have in Al-Baqarah, in the way I would teach it before, uh, we would have uh, four sections. We'd have the introduction, we would have the children of Israel, meaning the Ummah of Muhammad, uh, Musa, peace be upon him. And then that would lead into the Ummah of uh, Muhammad as a third section, and then the conclusion. And this is actually a very similar uh, breakdown where you have the introduction, just like in Al-Baqarah. You have the people of the book. And then you have the address of the believers. And then this section could either be part of this or of this. Yeah. Meaning so as not to confuse you, I could have done and then this would have been if that makes sense to you, that that section three could either go with section two uh, or it could go with section four. And then likewise, the last two eyes of al-Baqarah are a conclusion. So the point here is that the structure of the two surahs do reflect each other. 
they're very they're very similar to uh, to each other. It's just that Al Bakra works in forty ayah groups, give or take. Some are thirty nine, some are much more, and then Ali Imran works in thirty ayah groups. Is there some significance to that? No idea. Uh, that's how it seems to work. Uh, really briefly, responding to Aman Maki in Madani. So that which is revealed before Hijrah is Makki, that which is revealed after Hijrah is Madani, regardless of where the prophet is physically. There are other, there are other breakdowns. Uh, this is the most popular one that we're familiar with. Those ayahs that the prophet peace be received while he was awake, those that, that he received while he was asleep, those that he received in the daytime versus those that he received in the nighttime, those that he received while at home, those that he received while away from home. So there's no, numerous different ways that surahs get categorized. This is the most common. That we find. Okay, so our essential goal for Ramadan is to make it through the introduction. We might make it further, depending upon uh, uh, how, how deep we get and such. Uh, but anyone have any questions about this uh, this overall structure? Yeah, awesome. Oh. It's it's about something else you just said. Uh, all the different. So you said all the different like ways to group the suras yeah um do those all have sort of unique attributes or because we we sort of ascribe specific attributes to makki and specific attributes to madani suras right mm -hmm. um so do those other methods of grouping them have attributes that are unique to those groups uh that does seem to be the case uh in the sense that um the you know uh that which he receives in the daytime will have a different quality than that which he receives at the nighttime, that which he receives while awake is different than that which he receives while asleep, yeah. And so are, there are different, I mean, they're qualitative. By qualitative, I'm saying they're not precise. They're more, um, you know, think of, of, of Venn diagram bubbles that are very, very, uh, what's the word, uh, hazy in their borders. But yeah, the, to answer your question is, yeah, they do have different attributes. So, uh, so to answer the Islamic Society of Michiana, yeah, I'm familiar with Carl uh, Ernst is uh, his his approach, uh, the the ring structure. Uh, just to to give you all an idea of 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 what's being spoken here, a very common or not I should say very common, but a new method uh, that people use to analyze the structures of the suras is to figure out what is the middle concept. And then when you look at eyes before it and eyes after it, they seem to parallel each other. And then eyes before those and eyes after those seem to parallel each other. And that definitely works in Surah 2 and Surah 3. Uh, and uh, I don't, however, feel that that structure gives us uh, what we're looking for in terms of action as much as literary appreciation. Uh, but that's that's just my, my thought on it. But I think it is pretty, pretty uh, exciting and thought-provoking, though. You know, a lot of times when we get into the linguistics of the of the suras, I think more what they illustrate is that the author of the Quran is is very intentional. Um, but uh, as you all know, my focus is much more on, on action and such. Any other questions so far? Uh, on just the, when we're speaking about the layout or anything. Okay. Now, what is common in both of uh, Surah two and three is that they both begin with the disconnected letters, al-huruf al-muqatta'at. Both of them begin with alif lam yeah. Now, uh, 
So when we look at, at these disconnected letters, uh, what is the common explanation we give? The common explanation we give is, okay, no one knows what this means except for Allah. Now that is true, but that literally applies for every single ayah in the Quran, that nobody knows the true meaning except for Allah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Textbook Sunni um, uh, uh, Tafsir is that no one knows the true meaning of that except for Allah. But then we try to, using the tools available to us, um, whether we speak of words or structures, try to figure out possible intentions, possible meanings. And so when we look at the, the other surahs in the Quran, when we see these disconnected letters, there is this pattern that we find. And so let me stop sharing this and let me start sharing This, all right, y'all see the Quran on your screen? Okay. And then it gets big if I do this, yeah? Okay. So we have Alif Lam Mim. I don't know how to make this thing small. Yeah. So we have Alif Lam Mim as the first I have of, of Ali Imran. If I go back to Al-Baqarah, as you know, Alif Lam Mim is the first ayah of Al-Baqarah. That was a cool change of color. Now, what comes after it? So we have Alif Lam Mim, and what comes after it is Kitab. When we go to Ali Imran, we have Alif Lam Mim, and then speaks about Allah. There's no God but Him, the ever living, the ever watchful. But then, step by step, He has sent us scripture down to you. If we jump forward, let's go to Surah Yunus. Alif Lam Ra. These are the verses of the wise book. If we go to Surah Yusuf, we lose the internet. Surah Yusuf breaks the internet. Well, this is pretty interesting. I think everyone all over the Muslim world. Okay, here it is. So this is Surah Yunus. And then we have Alif Lam Ra, again, speaking about the scripture. So the point here is that out of the 29 surahs that begin with these disconnected letters, almost all of them, meaning out of 29, give or take about 27, follow up with some mention of the book. Either they will use the word book itself or they will use Quran or a different term. So if we have Alif Lam Mim followed by a mention of the book, how would you infer that? What would you infer from that? You know, use your full brain power to figure out, like, what could this possibly mean? Plus some mention of book. Any ideas? Oh, looks like some typing has been going on. Um, 
So uh, it could be something related to knowledge, although ilm itself is is with an ayn. Uh, it could be some relationship between ambiguity and clarity that we start off with ambiguity and then we enter clarity. No, no, but this does seem to be a pattern. Uh, to answer the question of Islamic society of Michiana, one is Surah Rum, which makes no mention. Uh, another is Surah uh, Rum, literally goes from uh, the opening letters to Ghulibat al Rum. And then another difference is Surah Maryam. Surah 19, uh, which has, you know, the five letters, Kaf, Haya, Ayn, Saad, and then Dhikri, Rabbihi, um, of uh, Zakaria. So, so, but the point here is that this is at least an indication that this is not arbitrary. That this is not some some joke from from the author, right? That there does seem to be some wisdom here taking place. Yeah. So yes, uh, one understanding is is exactly what Islamic Study of Michiana has posted. That uh, uh, this question was asked to Abdullah ibn al Abbas, who is named by the companions or named by the Prophet peace be upon him as the Mufassir. Uh, the, the Quran commentator among the Sahaba, and he was asked, what do these letters mean? And he says, uh, you know, Allah knows all. And so, so there are theories behind, you know, when a surah begins with these three letters, then the content is such and such. When it begins with Alif Lam Ra, the content is such and such. When it begins with Hamin, the content is such and such. And they are fundamentally theories. And so, so, what then can we uh, sort of infer as a little bit more concrete? Number one, if I'm saying, if I don't know the meaning, but Allah does, then what have I just done? then I have begun the process of submission. By acknowledging that I have limits to my knowledge that Allah is not bound by, then I am intellectually submitting to Allah. Now, this does seem to be a theme of going from ambiguity to clarity, ambiguity to, to uh, definitiveness. Definitiveness. This does seem to be a theme about how reality itself operates in the Quran that we are moving from the lack of knowledge or we're moving from the unknown to the known. Tawseef uh, and then Asim. Assalamualaikum, um, You know, in Surah Baqarah, it says, Alif Lam Mim, and then Dalik Al-Kitab Lareb Fi. I've always, you know, wondered about that juxtaposition. Alif Lam Mim, we don't know what it 
means. We can never know what it means in this life. We can theorize, but then you have this very concrete statement. This is the book of which there's no doubt, but we've already read something that is putting some question in my mind mm-hmm. about its meaning. Mm-hmm. And so would the answer to that question be that Allah knows what it means? And so there is no doubt about it. So uh, 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 so the point you're making is very similar to this, this bullet point that I have here, yeah? Moving from ambiguity to, to, to clarity, definitiveness. Um, I don't know that al Lamim creates doubt though. I think it's a huge question mark, right? And so in terms of raib, uh, I don't know if it goes that far. I still agree, as I'm illustrating here, that there is a parallel here, right? That, okay, that Allah knows what this means, I do not. And then, uh, and then in the, the next ayah, we're speaking of lack, not lack of questions or lack of ambiguity, but I think the lack of doubt um, is a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? That raib is different than shuck, yes. which is different than lack of knowledge. Got it. Yeah. Uh, but still, I mean, your point is, is still akin to the bullet point that I'm making here. You know? And in fact, I, I met a guy about 25 years ago who became Muslim just because of that ayah. You know, uh, that he was thrilled to find something that literally claimed to be doubtless to be that bold as to claim uh, to be doubtless. And he named himself Sinbad, which I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, awesome, you're raising your hand. You are on the mute. Yep. Um, there, there was also something, and I think it may have been you who said it to me that, that like, it's also by, by sort of accepting, yeah, we're intellectually submitting, but we're also, uh, saying that we trust Allah that if if we needed to know then it would be much more clear so this is, this is a, a another important point that if I need to know I trust Allah to inform me Meaning Allah knows what this means. Uh, perhaps at some point I may find out what this means. Uh, let's see. Mosin is saying this may require looking at surahs that do not start with these letters to see whether opening verses are different. Yeah, their, their opening verses are, are, are a huge, huge variety. Hazel is saying, is there a theory interpretation about how we know to read these letters as separate letters? Ah, this is this is a, a very good point to address in a moment. So I will. One reason that might be is there is to allow us to have this conversation. Could be, could be, mashallah. All right. So so this is related to Hazel's point. So if I know nothing about the Quran and yet somehow I'm fluent in Arabic. And I see this word, or I see this thing that I perceive to be a word. How would I read this? Alam. Alam, which is? To learn. Okay, so, well, I mean, that would be with an ayin. Yeah. yeah. So it could be alam uh, as in uh, a negative interrogative. Alam 
nashrah like a sadrak. So it could be a negative interrogative. Or, yeah, as, as Tosif is saying, it could be alima, it could be pain. And then how do I know to read this as alif lamim? Yeah, uh, awesome. Um, that's how the prophet said it. When okay, but how do I know? That is what we take, but how do I know to read this this way? Oh, isn't that like the that Islam or the Quran is still uh, primarily transmitted verbally, and therefore we we don't necessarily read it before we hear it. Mm -hmm. So effectively, yeah, this point that what we also have with Al-Flamim is a major lesson about how Islam operates. And the way most of Islam actually operates is, yes, exactly, Tosif, is person-to-person is -person transmission. That is how most of it actually operates. And then a small amount of it operates by way of scholarly production. And so, yes, this goes back to the point that one of the essence of Islam is relationships. Now, I just said that a small amount of the operation of Islam is scholarly production, and yet we have this gigantic amount of scholarly production. Uh, I mean, if we were to look in objectively at the production of the West in terms of classical literature, you know, it's ba basically enough for, for one, one, one bookshelf. If we're talking about the classics of, of Islamic literature, then it would probably fill up, you know, an entire floor of a library. Of course, if we're looking at all the legal discourse in the West, that might fill up a, a, a building, just like all the legal discourse in Islam might fill up a building. But that is still tiny compared to the overall practice of Islam, the living person-to-person -person practice of Islam. Meaning if we were to somehow write a biography of the practice of Islam of every Muslim, obviously, that's going to be far larger than the amount of scholarly production. And so even scholarly production is traced back to the prophet, right? That we are taught that they are the heirs to the prophet. And personal person transmission is likewise traced to the prophet. And an easy example of that, even easier than Alif Lamim is how do you all learn how to pray? So if I literally go through and I ask you, let's see, Noor, how'd you learn how to pray? My mom. Olfat, how'd you learn how to pray? Parents. Parents. Tosif, how'd you learn how to pray? Parents as well. Parents. Adnan. Uh, Sunday school. <laughs> Ahan, how did you learn how to pray? YouTube. Thank you. Yeah. You so, Ahan, so Ahan starts, uh, he wants to learn how to pray. I say, okay, well, why don't you find a good website? Comes back the next day with the website. 
And then, okay, why don't you memorize Al-Fatiha? And then he comes back, you know, like two days later by memorizing almost the entire prayer. And he's literally in my office, like doing sajda. Is this how we do it? So the point here is that how do y'all learn how to pray? You learned, you may have started with a book. You may have started with a video. You may have started with, with uh, uh, you know, some other type of lesson. But how did you really learn how to pray? From person to person. And this is more interesting, as far as I'm concerned, than the preservation of the Quran, because the preservation of Quran, it's a fixed text of words. We don't have a manual on how to pray. And I think I've already mentioned earlier in this class, we don't even have a single hadith that tells you how to pray. Like we always say, the, the Quran doesn't teach you how to, uh, how to pray that's in the hadith. No, it's not in the hadith. Different parts of the prayer are in the hadith. But how did you learn how to pray? The Prophet says, peace be upon him, pray as you see me pray. That's how the Sahaba learn. And then that's how the Tabi'een learn from the Sahaba. And that's how the Tabi'een learn from, 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 from the, the Tabi'een. And then it goes generation to generation to generation into this global population that has every level of literacy and illiteracy, every level of wealth and, and, and lack of wealth, every, wealth of every level of organization and disorganization. And then you go to Hajj and everybody prays the same way. Right. That is, for me, a bigger open miracle of Islam than the preservation of the Quran. The preservation of the Quran is 600 specific pages. Yeah. But we don't have a central manual on how to pray. But I'm still saying the preservation of the Quran is also a miracle. And so, yes, this is once again illustrating this point that, that our... The primary method of Islam is person-to-person -person transmission. Yeah. Uh, Hazel, you want to explain your point further? I pray Juma at a Quranist masjid in, I don't know if LA is Louisiana or what, and then your yes. mind was born. Yeah. So uh, a friend and I were in Los Angeles for work. We went there for Juma. Um, everything seemed okay until it was time for Salat. And I, I, I don't know what was happening. The, the movements, um, the disorganization. I mean, even the, the structure of the Jummah Khutbah was just a little off, mm. um, but we just sat there. And, and at one point we did remove ourselves because it, nothing was in order in what we're taught on how to pray. You, you um, feel like uh, going up to the member and say, this is not how we do it. You know? <laughs> no, we just sat in the back and you know talked to people afterwards and I was gifted a Quranist um Quran, yeah. Um, and it it's so it was just a really odd experience. Alhamdulillah, everyone was nice. Um, but yeah, I, I did ask how did you all come up with this interpretation to pray? And I honestly can't remember my brain fog right now. It was a few years ago, but yeah, they were really adamant on on everything that they were doing. I was like, okay, okay, mm -hmm. alhamdulillah. <laughs> okay, fair enough, inshallah. And so 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 thank you for sharing that. So, so the point here is that how do we know to pronounce Alif Lamim as Alif Lamim as Alif Lamim? Because that's what we hand down. Meaning you're not going to find, try to imagine a full writing of how to pronounce every letter in the Quran. Try to imagine how many volumes that book would have to be. Now, so how do you learn how to recite? It's person to person. You might have a little book on how to pronounce the letters. But then you go through surah by surah, ayah by ayah with someone who's listening, who's been trained by someone, who's been trained by someone, who's been trained by someone. 
And so, so this is a very important point about the living practice of Islam is where we find the actual existence of Islam. And then, then the question becomes, what is the role of the scholarly production? And that is often to try to figure out the answers to, to the particular questions, the answers to the new questions. And it becomes, and this is, you'll all hear this from me a hundred thousand more times in addition to a hundred times, a thousand times you've heard from me, is that it's the, the responsibility of every generation of Muslims to then figure out how to practice Islam in a manner that is wholly Islam and wholly relevant to their time and place. And that then requires support of the scholarly production. But then what else gets interesting? When we get into end times philosophies, or end, not philosophies, end time prophecies, and Allah Ta'ala says, or the prophet says, peace be upon that Allah is going to take away the Quran, how? The book is not going to vanish. It's the reciters and the scholars will be leaving. Okay. And then again, connect this to this whole idea of person to person uh, connection, that the people themselves that are the carriers of knowledge will be vanishing. Not in the sense of a rapture, but they'll be dying off. Okay. So this is, in a nutshell, uh, the beginning of Ali Imran and Alif Lam Mim. And I have one last point, but Asim, you have a question. Um, yeah, when you, when you talk about the Quran vanishing, uh, does that also include uh, interest in the text itself being purely academic? Uh, I suspect that that may continue, and I suspect that the Quran itself will still be present physically. Right. But I'm saying that 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 people will continue to be interested in the like. I think it's much more, it's much harder to see it happening if people are still interested in the text academically, mm -hmm. um, without without necessarily practicing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of it uh, potentially as something akin to the way in academics we'll have people that are studying dead religions. Yeah. Will it reach that point? Uh, I don't know. It's still, it's frightening to think about, and it's kind of hard to comprehend. Yeah. Uh, and how close are we to that era is also frightening to think about. Are we? Is it around the corner, or is it a thousand years away? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Asha. So, will they be punished if they don't know any better? Uh, may I ask you? Uh, I can give you a general example uh, answer to that question. But it, uh, are you referring to something in particular, in something we just spoke about? Pipe or I was referring to the mother she went to. Oh, okay, nice. I mean, the bottom line is is that um, everyone will be judged fairly. So you are going to be judged. I'm going to be judged not according to a universal standard as much as I'll be judged according to what I have, and you'll be judged according to what you have, and I'll be judged according to what I've been given. You'll be judged according to what you've been given. And such was the case for the people in those places. So the really question becomes. If someone is going into a particular sectarian outlook, is it because they believe they're finding more truth or is it because they are rejecting something inside of themselves and manifesting that? Because a lot of the converts that I have, uh, some are in the search of truth and some are rejecting their parents. Malahat uh, and then Asman. So on the person-to-person -person transmission, um, yeah. But I, I think we, we should be cognizant to just say that, you know, we can follow the ijma. Keep going. 
rather than a person. So if there is any difference of opinion comes in, then as a Sunni madhab is that, you know, we follow the ijma. Mm-hmm. We don't follow the individual. Mm-hmm. So okay, but person to person doesn't mean one person to one person. Right. Change uh, it to people and, to people. Yeah. So, and then uh, I think in one of, one of the classes or uh, one of the discussion we had, you mentioned about that the community to community transmission, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a collection of commun- you know, the people, not an individual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, person to person doesn't mean one to one. Right. You know, that's, okay. an, that's an important correction. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's it'll be a whole bunch of different types of networks, but in some cases, it will be one to one, like father to child, mother to child, and such. Right. You know, but. Yeah, the idea is all these networks of relationships. Right, right. I just want to clarify because, you know, yeah. we are talking in a community base. So community base is, is, is not the P2P. It's more like, you know, the community to community. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's good correction. Uh, Asma. Sorry, I'm just trying to find I'm on mute. Okay. I actually did understand person to person individually. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, so yeah. maybe I did get lost in that, uh, but that wasn't my question. So if you don't mind clarifying that part a little bit, and then my question to you, um, your thoughts on um, recognize if if uh, if someone recognizes, is it legitimate? And I'm not talking about from a fiqh perspective, but more on just a you know the Sunnah Jama'ah perspective of scholarly opinions on not negating Prophet Muhammad and the scholarly law, but then referencing going back to Ibrahim, saying that I align with Sayyidina Ibrahim as a Hanif. And not to disconnect from the Prophet Muhammad, to recognize that, but then to go back to that official, that principle. Does that, am I making sense to you here or? Uh, partially, uh, but if I can ask you to explain more, uh, can, can I, I add? I've met, or so, I've met someone uh, who's speaking. Where's this voice? Uh, I'm sorry. I just think I had the similar question. I don't know if Sister Asmaif. Do you know there's okay. a verse in the Quran that says "Sameetu kum Musliminam in Kabul," and oftentimes I have this similar thought: is why can't I just say I am Muslim instead of? this identity of simply, like I'm not negating I'm a Sunni or I have to come mm-hmm. from a Sunni tradition, but Quran itself explicitly says, you've been named Muslims mm-hmm. from before. Yes, it is similar. Um, at times I sense personally, there's just so much noise and so much chaos that it becomes overwhelming. And so it's thinking of, to try to create some principled um, foundation to just get back to the actual essence mm-hmm. of acknowledging Prophet Ibrahim's monotheistic uh, belief system, mm-hmm. if you will. And, and again, Hasha, not, not negating Prophet Muhammad, mm-hmm. but just recognizing the amount of contemporary noise. I, I don't know if I'm articulating, but okay, it so- is reference to when there are verses that talk about you know going back to that essence mm-hmm. of purity of prophet ibrahim mm-hmm. so i mean that will be in this surah uh, i don't know if we'll get to that so so if i were to put your question with tosif's question uh, i think uh and correct me if i'm wrong what tosif is focusing on is 
is when we add the prefix to to Muslim, okay, uh, that is potentially divisive unnecessarily. Uh, uh, and then in the point you're making, Asma, is uh, is trying to minimize, minimize the divisiveness with other people who also trace themselves back to Ibrahim, Jews and Christians. Is that what you're speaking about? Or am I missing the point? Oh, no, not, yeah, no. I'm just talking about within Muslim, like even, not even talking about Christians and Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or are you just speaking about trying to simplify uh, um, a lot that has been made unnecessarily complicated? Yes, that is more accurate. So thinking that, it, like I said, there's just so much noise and debate and articulation where, if you remember in our last session, I was making some reflections on other points of just going back to main to yeah. uh, heed. And so there's times where personally I'm reflecting, I just feel like I need to shut it all out and just say, I want to go back to the main tenets of Ibrahim السلام, and not to negate, you know, Prophet Muhammad or the Sunnah or any of that, but it gets to be um, just overwhelming at times, right? And so I'm, I'm so, just wanting your thoughts would, and guidance on. In principle, uh, I would agree with that, right? And, and so, so I've drawn this uh, before, uh, and then I'll draw how things uh, tend to be in terms of the community. And this might also uh, get into Tausif's question as well. Right, so I said that, all right, in terms of what is Islam, what is Islam actually in my understanding is basic beliefs, which is about a paragraph, if that. And then basic action, basic law, which is about two pages. And then this is how you conduct yourself in all the different relationships you can possibly have. And this is service and justice. So this is what I'm this is what I'm asserting Islam actually is. What I haven't drawn to help make sense of this is how we commonly practice Islam in our community. Is actually this. That extensive discussions on theology. extensive discussions in law, a little bit on relationships, a tiny amount of service and justice is almost impossible to find. And so I would suggest uh, this is the common practice of Islam in our society, if not the globe itself, which is, any question that I have about how to be a Muslim will either be placed in the realm of law or abstract theology. And 
the consequence of abstract theology is you're fundamentally deciding who is included and who is excluded. Because if I have a 20 page uh, book on theology saying that these are the things you have to believe and person, you know, we'll call this person, you know, Thosif, Thosif comes along and says, no, I don't agree with point 10. Through the lens of theology, that person becomes a coffer. If, however, we have, uh, you know, if we try to answer everything through the lens of law, and we have pages and pages of, you know, how do I do this? How do I dress? You know, how, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do that? Then eventually, you know, everyone's going to be looked at as either a sinner or, or upright, right? But in terms of relationships, we're going to identify them based on, okay, is this person polite or is this person rude? Is the person honest or is this person not? And that is what the prophet, peace be upon him, said. I came here. I did not come except to perfect character. So what I'm suggesting, uh, which I think is in line with what you're saying, this approach will actually reduce a lot of the noise. Meaning, how much theology does a person need to know? You need to know, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. And then you believe in the angels, the books, the messengers, the day of judgment, divine decree. Everything after that becomes uh, commentary, uh, uh, potentially superfluous, and most likely distracting. Yeah, no, that's exactly very articulate. Thank you. Because, yes. you know, there are more worrying about my, not to say that I'm leaving the faith in itself. That's not what I'm saying, but pushing back enough to say, I just want to go back to the main Tawheed mm -hmm. tenets of Prophet Ibrahim because it's the noise and it's exactly how you articulate in the drawing that when it becomes theology and action and law, you all, it, it's almost like you forget the creator is not even in the picture anymore. That's exactly and it. Again, Hasha, I'm not saying that. And so with all of that noise, I've had to feel internally to retreat, to just get back to saying, you know, the Hanafa, I want to follow that main principle that our prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, came in to get us to understand. Mm -hmm. And so, this is, yeah, but this I've never, is, I've never had it validated or, well, you know, uh, is it right or circle. wrong or welcome is it, to, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so welcome to our circle of, of uh, rebels. Yep. Thank you. So, yeah. And so in the relationships, then here you focus on your relationship with God. You focus on your relationship with the prophet, peace be upon him. You know, and then with all your different circles, and this also includes nature, right? Because that's why we know the prayer times, you know, people in general. How do you conduct, uh, how do you treat animals? All that stuff. We can identify, we can explain all of this in law, but then it takes the life out of everything, right? Okay, so, uh, so that answers your question, inshallah. And then, and then what I'm also suggesting is that when I'm the Loyola undergrad and my focus is on the three M's and the J, anybody remember what the three M's and the J are? Anybody remember any of them? Med school, marriage, meat, and gins. Like that's literally 90% of the questions right there. Sir, it's 7 p.m. 
Ana Rosa. <laughs> I remember nothing now. <laughs> okay. And so, so there's no questions about justice, right? And, and then med school is not a path to service. It's a path to make a lot of money, right? Which is well and good if that's where your intention is. And so what I'm saying is another consequence of this upside down approach to Islam is that, you know, some of the bigger priorities get completely lost. Okay, uh, awesome. Let me get to your question in just a moment. Uh, so, Tausif, to your question, uh, I do believe that we should, if we could, identify without any prefixes. Uh, but it will play out in a certain uh, set of cases. One set of cases will be who do you pray behind? Yeah. And who do you not pray behind? And the second you make a choice not to pray behind someone, you have added a prefix to, to your own identification as a Muslim. Make sense, or what do you think? Yes, that that does make sense, and it may, but it may be because of a a law issue rather than a belief issue that I don't pray behind someone because they don't yeah. do in a complete fashion. Sure. I've learned or something, you know. So, so one question would be: so someone who self-identifies as a Sunni, would they pray behind someone who is a member of the Nation of Islam? That would be matter. That'd be a matter of theology, right? And this person might say, "Yeah, I pray behind anyone who who prays to the one God." Fine, but then at a community level, you will have to figure out some answers to these questions. The second would be, who do you marry? Who do you not marry? Most everything else, then it becomes particulars. Right then it becomes particulars from everything like, okay, what time is Maghrib? Uh, because even uh, a point that we may not realize is that in the four schools, the Sunni schools, you know, we're familiar in terms of American Islam that the Hanafis, you know, have a different Asr time. Actually, the four schools have four different times. If we were to find a photo of Mecca from like the early 1950s, you know, before the Wahhabis came along, there are actually four members. There's a Hanafi member, a Shafi member, a Hanbali member, and a, and a Maliki member. And they would have their own different prayers at the Haram. And uh, in terms of practice, most of that then becomes, you know, as far as I understand, small details. But the, you know, I've wrestled with the same question. And, and the two big arenas of life where it seems to make a difference is who do you pray behind? Not even who do you pray with or who do you pray in front of, but who do you pray behind? And then, um, you know, who do you marry or not marry? Uh, think about it some more, uh, because I'd be curious about your, your other reflections on this, especially in terms of the work that you do. Uh, Asim, and then Leith. Um, you've, you've used the term justice a lot. How do yeah. we define justice? So that would have to be its own uh, course. So I'll give you the super short versions of the answers. One, in terms of the words that are used for justice itself, uh, adl, which would be sort of like equilibrium, it's very vague, and is, which is sort of like putting everything in its proper place. Yeah. The words that are often translated as justice. In terms of the conversation on justice, uh, there's four arenas of society that, that are pulled from Surat, uh, Surah Quraysh. And these are uh, shelter and sustenance, uh, trade and travel, security from fear, and religious devotion. 
And so all of these just is that people have reasonable access to healthy shelter and sustenance and just is that they have difficult access trade and travel, that they have the ability to travel freely to earn trade and their trade is even. So that's where we get into the conversation about riba and such. People feel secure and, and religious devotions are protected. That, so first part is the definition. Second part would be those arenas of life. Third part would be crime and punishment. Uh, but crime and punishment only applies if society is healthy, um, like in those four arenas of life. Otherwise, you know, these severe punishments do not apply. So that would be the, the, the super quick version. Uh, late and then malahat, and then we're actually going to have to call it a day because uh, I got into the next class, inshallah. Late. Yeah, um, so I'm just thinking, like, so overall, what causes an inversion such as this from mm. focus on relationship, service, and justice to a focus on law and belief? So, I mean, so a lot of this would be social factors, sociological factors. Uh, you know, one thing that seems to be the case generation after generation is those two rectangles in, in a hyper increase in the focus of those two rectangles. Right, and so I was having a conversation with 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 Dr. Malahat some classes ago. Um, actually, it might have been outside of class, where like, what is the context in which Ghazali writes his big magnum opus? That there was so much of a focus on fiqh, uh, Islamic law, that people were even writing treatises on what is the the what is the the fiqh for shooting a bow and arrow? That would be the equivalent of, of today writing. What would be the fiqh of firing a gun or driving a car? You know, which. For my mind seems absurd, but in someone else's mind, no, that's a natural question. We need to know what is the right way and the wrong way Islamically, right? And I think a lot of that is uh, fundamentally a departure from the actual knowledge of the content of the Quran. I mean, related to, to Asma's point, uh, uh, you know, how much of the Quran is law? Not even 10%, maybe 7%. And most of the Quran is about being. And, and so as we shift away from the Quran to the externals, which would be its recitation as opposed to its content, you know, its calligraphy as opposed to its content, we still have a need for answers and we start searching in these other places. But I do think there's also uh, social forces that make it happen as well. Uh, Malahat. Yeah, I think I, I will hold on to my question, but can I request that we can start from this chart from tomorrow? Because I think um, I have some questions and concern about Sister Asma's statement. Because without the justice and adil in a society, the, the whole society cannot move forward. Yeah, I don't think she's disagreeing with that. Right, right. I, so I think she's saying that you know that most of our discourse is is all kinds of uh, irrelevant information. But we right, can still right. defend you this. We won't start with this tomorrow, but we can bring it back tomorrow. Just uh, remind you of the question, Michelle. Thank you. All right, we'll stop right here because I have to get to the next class. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiru kana tubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiru kana tubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiru kana tubu ilayk. I'm sorry for all these questions that I have not gotten to um, in the chat box. We did have a good, uh, lively discussion. So if possible, please raise these questions uh, tomorrow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.